It's an invitation that he offers to every one of us. Go all in. Jesus is telling us this world has nothing to offer you that is greater than me. Go all in. Is the reality of who Jesus is. Have we gotten to the place where we just say he is worthy? He is worth it. He is worth pushing all my chips to the middle of the table. Maybe for you today, it is time to ante up. Grabbing his hand, it costs you nothing, but it will demand everything of your life. It's time to go all in. I'm 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 all in. Do you ever sit back and wonder what it might have been like to be one of the disciples? I mean, we read the text, and it's just the turn of a page for us, but this was their life that they were living. And I often, as I study the scriptures, I try to imagine myself in the text. If these things were unfolding in front of me, the life and ministry of Jesus, how might I respond? If I could just drop myself into one text, I think it would be John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover. There were lots of people that were moving toward Jerusalem to celebrate. It was a long day of ministry because there were so many people that were trying to just get a glimpse of the rabbi Jesus. But it becomes time for the evening meal. And so they retreat from the crowds. They head up to an upper room. And one by one, as they file into this room, they start to take their place around a table. But over on the wall in this room hangs a towel. And this towel is a reminder to everyone that is taking a place around this table that there is a dirty job that needs to be done. Feet need to be washed. Again, let's think about the day. They spent the whole day walking in the dirt and the dung. Feet are gross. They probably love each other, but nobody wants to touch other people's feet. Am I right? I don't want to touch your feet. I love you, but I don't want to touch your feet. Because here's the deal. In that culture, normally what would happen, you would enter a household, and then a servant of that household would be the one that would wash the feet. But there was a pecking order of servants. And you know who got to wash the feet? The lowest of all of the servants. There were no servants in this home. And so all of the disciples are sitting around wondering, who is it that is going to wash the feet of everybody else? Hemming and hawing. No one is willing to do it. We know what is in the heart of the disciples because we've watched their life over a season of time. We know that they're not wanting to be the lowest on the totem pole. They want to be the highest. In fact, we've seen texts where they're arguing, who's going to be the greatest? Every one of them wants to be number one. They're not willing to stoop. I love the story of the mom of a couple of the disciples that goes to Jesus and said, can my boys be on your right and on your left in your completed kingdom? It was like the first helicopter mom out there trying to get her boys to the front of the bus. 
Jesus had been telling them all along, if you want to be the greatest, that means you need to be the least. You need to humble yourself before other people. And so here I am trying to put myself in there with the disciples. I don't judge them because I think I would do a very similar thing. I was trying to think like, what would I do? Like I thought maybe I would kind of move to the table so that my back was to the towel. So it's just not even in my line of sight. So I can just have this plausible deniability that, oh yeah, the, the towel, I forgot about the towel. Maybe I would do something like say, hey Jesus, can I help set the table? I mean, it's still serving, but it's a lot more honorable than washing feet. Maybe I would just sit there silently, fumbling, waiting for someone else to make a move. And then when they do make a move, I'd be like, oh, hey, do you want some help with that? Oh, no, you got it? Okay, all right. So it looks like I want to help. You know why I know that is in me? Okay, this is confession. When I was a young father, when kids are small, they wake up in the middle of the night, like all hours of the night. I tell you, there were so many times that I would just lay there, hearing them cry and just thinking, if I slay so still, Carmen will think that I'm asleep and I won't have to get up. I'm a horrible human being. But I know that there are other dads out there that are nodding their head like, yeah, David, right there. I see that. You're, you are an honest man. I don't judge these disciples. We want to be the greatest. We don't always want to serve. But here's where the story takes a twist. Who stands up? Jesus stands up. And he walks over and he grabs the towel, the serving towel, and he unfolds it and he wraps it around his waist and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. John chapter 13, starting in verse three. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. Jesus knows he's got all power and authority in all things and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. But here's what he does with all of his power and authority. It says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The text tells us even earlier that there were some things that Jesus knew. He knew that this was his last night. Within 24 hours, he was going to die. If there was ever a time in the life of Jesus when he'd just say to his disciples, hey, hey guys, I love you and I want to serve you, but could you pay attention to me for a minute? This is my darkest, most difficult hour. If there was ever a time for that, it would be now, but that isn't what Jesus did. And again, we just read, he knew that he was the most powerful person in the room. Not just the most powerful person in the room, the most powerful person on the planet. He was the creator, the sustainer of all things. Like, like if you were like the kids doing the not it, not it, not it, 
Jesus had the not it. It shouldn't be him that grabbed the towel. But the king of kings and the Lord of lords grabbed the towel and he knelt down and took the place of the lowest slave. We have to try to let that sink in just a little bit, can we? The hands, his hands that shaped the galaxies, that molded mountains, now are in a basin with dirty, scummy, toe-jammy feet. The God of the universe doing that for others. The one before whom every knee on heaven and on earth and under thee are gonna bow their knee one day is now kneeling before disciples and washing their feet. Jesus knows that he is facing death, but there's something that he wants his disciples to know. He wants them to know that they love him, that he loves them. That's how my kingdom works. The world doesn't work like this. The world says the one that's on the top gets served. But Jesus says in my kingdom, the greatest is the one who serves. And that's why the text tells us that this was Jesus showing his love. In fact, it says he showed them the full extent of his love. Because here's what's happening, friends. Jesus is not just removing dirt from feet. He wants to remove doubt from hearts. Because these men are gonna have reason to doubt in the next 24 hours because Jesus knows what's gonna happen. He knows that these hands of his that are washing the dirty feet of the disciples In 24 hours, they're going to have been pierced through. They're going to be lifeless, and they're going to be cold. And he also knows that the 24 feet that he is washing in 24 hours are going to be nowhere to be seen. They're not going to be with him. They're not going to be standing with him or for him. They're going to be completely gone. Two of those feet belong to Judas who betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Two of those feet belong to Peter, who are gonna curse him, deny that he even knows him. And the other 20 feet, they're gonna be on the run as soon as they see that flash of the Roman sword coming because they don't wanna be in the same boat as Jesus. They run for cover. Jesus knows by the next morning, There's going to be reason for them to doubt. They're probably going to have their head in their hands, looking at their feet, remembering what their king had done for them, feeling guilt and shame that they had run away. And Jesus knew in that moment, they needed to remember that he loved them. I loved you. I washed your feet. Your feet are still clean. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you didn't do, but because of what I've done for you. And Jesus lets them know this. In John 13, seven, Jesus replied, you do not realize now while I'm washing your feet, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Later, 
It's all gonna come down. You're gonna be able to put all the pieces back together and you're gonna see this is how my kingdom works. My kingdom works when the greatest are willing to serve. And you're gonna remember this is the example that I set for you. This is what it looks like, guys. This is what it looks like, gals. When someone goes all in, Jesus wants us to have that picture. Brian talked about this, our mission statement. We lead people to become all in followers of Jesus, which means that we learn how to practice the ways of Jesus. We learn to imitate his life. The things that we see Jesus doing in his life and in scripture, we do with our life because we want to be all in followers which mean we are gonna be people that are willing to serve others. Whatever gifts and talents God gives us, we're gonna pour them out for the sake of other people because our king did the same. Here's how Jesus described it. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, should, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is saying, this is the blessed life. This is the all-in life. It's a life of serving one another. Jesus even said that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the king that we follow. That's what it means to be all in. And so friends around here, when we talk about being an all in follower of Jesus, we're gonna be asking you to think about what does it look like for you to serve others in the family of God? What does it look like for you to pour out your life and your talents for the sake of your spiritual family, your church family, unashamedly, we're gonna ask you to do that. Here's the question that I have. On any given Sunday, what do you, do you think is the percentage of people that walk into an environment like this and that's the forefront of their mind? What can I do to serve other people? Versus people that maybe walk in and they're asking the question, what am I gonna get out of this? What is gonna be in it for me? You see, in American Christianity, so many people have a consumer mindset. It's about me. It's about what I get out of it. But Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not my kingdom. That's not how my church works. In my church, we come thinking about what do I do to serve others. Let me ask it another way. Think about this question. Who's the audience here today? If you just had to answer that question off the top of your head, who's the audience here today? And you might be thinking, oh, it's a little bit of a leading question, just because of how the room is set up and how we do things in our culture. If this was a concert or this was a play, this is the audience. The chairs are set up for the audience. I'll give you a hint to the answer to that question, who the audience is. It's not you. The audience here today is God and God alone. We are here for him. 
Our eyes are set on him. Our hearts are set on him. We are here to worship him. He is our audience. Amen. But here's what I hear so many times as people evaluate a worship gathering or a worship service. We don't evaluate ourselves because if God is the audience, who's on the stage? It's not just me, friends. It is all of us. All of us are, I don't like the word performing, but we're all here for him. So if people evaluate a worship gathering by how do people do things up here, if that's the only question that they ask, we're missing it. If they're just asking, did I like the worship? Were those songs that I liked? Did I like the preaching? Did base camp, did they serve my kids well? Was I greeted friendly? Those are great questions, and we ask those questions all the time because they're so important to us, but it's not the only question, and I don't think it's the most important question for you. I think the most important question for you as you walk out these doors and you head to your car is to ask yourself, how did I do today? How did I do in worshiping God? Did I come with a soft, moldable heart? Did I walk in those doors asking the Holy Spirit, speak to me? God, I want a word from you. I don't want to just hear from a bald guy. God, I want to hear from you. Is that our heart? Do we evaluate ourselves? God, how did I do at loving and serving people today? Did I even see the people around me? Did I come in looking for a need, looking for the need in the eyes of another person that maybe I could meet? Maybe there was something that I could do and I did it. How did I do today? That's the heart of an all-in follower of Jesus. Someone that comes to a gathering of God's people, not just to receive, but to give, not just a consumer, but someone who comes in and metaphorically, they've got a towel wrapped around their waist, looking for an opportunity. God, what needs to be done for your name and for your sake? What can I do? I want to ask you this question. What would it be like in a family of God, in a church environment, if that was the heart of every follower of Jesus? Maybe if you're a guest here today, what would it be like if you walked into an environment and just tangibly, even practically, you can just see these people love each other. They're excited to serve one another. They're excited to serve me. I matter to them. Even if they don't know me, I can tell that I matter to them. What would that do to you? And maybe you're even a guest that you don't even know what we believe for sure. You don't even know if you believe what we believe. And maybe you know that you don't believe what we believe. But if you came into an environment like that, what would it do in you? I think I know what it would do. It'd make you say, I want to know what drives these people. I want to know what makes them tick. What makes them love in a way that's so different from what the world does. That's what would happen. People humbly and joyfully serving one another. And here's how Jesus described it toward the end of John chapter 13, when he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, 
meaning that he just showed them the full extent of his love and washing their feet, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You want people to believe what we believe? Don't just shout at them. Don't just point at them. Love one another. Love one another. Serve one another. And the world will beat a path to our door because they'll know these people belong to Jesus because this is a different world than the world I live in out here. We love and we serve one another. Okay, I wanna just step back for one second because I know when I kind of drive at these things, talk about consumers, there can be a sense where sometimes people can feel guilty. I wanna be really clear. We do not leverage guilt around here. You know why we don't leverage guilt around here? Because Jesus didn't leverage guilt ever. And if there was ever someone who could leverage guilt, it was Jesus. But he actually came to remove guilt, to remove shame, to remove burden. So if you feel guilty about anything I say, knock it off. That's not where we're going here today. In fact, here's how Paul tried to help people understand the heart behind being this all-in servant follower of Jesus. In Galatians chapter five, when he was writing to a church, helping them to understand what it means to be all in, here's what he said. He said, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Let me, let me talk about that word free, just in the context of what he's saying right here. In the book of Galatians, he's talking about this freedom from the law. Up until then, Jewish believers had this mindset that to be acceptable to God, I need to keep the law. I need to do this and not do this. And this is what makes me right with God. But when Jesus came, his death, burial, and resurrection pushed that to the side. He became the fulfillment of the law because we put our faith and our trust, not in doing and not doing, but we put our faith in what he has done for us, his death on our behalf. That is what makes us acceptable to God. And because we're acceptable to God, apart from what we do or don't do, that means that we're free. You can do whatever you want to do. That's what Paul's saying. But he goes on to say, but do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. And that flesh doesn't mean our physical body flesh. It's a, it's a theological term that Paul uses to describe that innate part of us that propensity that we have to want to live life apart from God. That part of us that says, I want to do what I want to do. Paul's saying here, do not use your freedom to indulge that part of you, that flesh. Rather, in the opposite direction, serve. Serve one another humbly in love. Don't make this life about you. Humbly make it about others. Not because you have to, to get God to like you. He already likes you. He loves you. But don't use that freedom to indulge this me mentality. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. He just says, when you show up to environments as a church, that's what needs to be on the forefront of our mind. We walk in here as if we've got a towel because God has given us a towel and asking us to look, where are the needs? 
Where can I serve? Where can I love? Where can I help? God, what is it that you want me to do? We come in and we wear a towel around us. And what I love about the scriptures is Paul tells us that every one of us not only has a towel, we actually have a unique towel. That when we become a follower of Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to live and dwell inside of us. And scriptures make it clear. With the Holy Spirit come the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us with gifts and spiritual talents that he's given to us for the purpose of investing in the lives of other people. God wants us to invest our towel and our talents and our gifts and our life for the sake of others. Here's how Paul describes it as he's writing to another church in Ephesus that he wants to be all in. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers, for what purpose? What are the leaders about? Is to equip people for works of service. That's my job. That's what Paul is telling me. That's my job, is to equip people to do works of service. For what purpose? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What happens when we learn to love and to serve one another? Paul is telling us it builds all of us up. And it brings us to a place of unity. You know what that's like when you're around people that are trying to outserve one another, outlove one another? It binds your hearts together. You want to be with those people and around those people. It creates unity. And it makes us mature. It makes us mature because it makes us look like Jesus. That's what he did for us. And so that's what we do for one another. Everyone has a towel. And Paul's using this picture, this idea of a body to help us understand that every part matters. Every towel that has been given to everyone in here that is a follower of Jesus matters. Like every part of the body matters. If one part of your body doesn't work right, is unwilling or unable to play its role, all of the body suffers. That's the picture that Paul wants us to have We all need to play our role. We all need to bring our towel or the body doesn't work. There's lots of towels around this place. There's lots of people that show up. When I walked in here, there were no chairs set up here. There's teams of people making it comfortable for everybody else coming here early. The band and tech are here throughout the week getting ready to make this a great weekend and a worship opportunity There's greeters and ushers trying to make this the most welcoming place possible. Medical teams, in case I go down up here or pass out or something, they're gonna help me out. Security teams that keep us safe. People investing the gifts and talents that God has given them for the sake of others. I was thinking about a friend of mine and I shared his story in the first service. Just the picture of how he comes to these gatherings every week is just an inspiration to me. He comes in and he prays every week. God, would you give me supernatural, spiritual discernment to be able to see the needs in the lives of people? And maybe there's someone, God, that you can give me a word for, that you can give me a scripture for, maybe a picture 
that you would want me to give to them, whether I even know them or not, something that will encourage them and build them up. And he comes here and he prays and he looks around and he invests in the lives of people. What would it be like if everybody did that? If everybody was like Andy and they just walked in with their towel thinking, where's there a need? I'm gonna meet it. What's something that needs to be done? I'm gonna do it. Paul tells us we're gonna function like a body. It's gonna tie us together in unity and it's gonna make us mature in Jesus. That's the picture of an all-in follower of Jesus, people who are willing to serve. We started with a story about feet and I'm gonna end with another biblical story about feet because for me, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of what it means to go all in for Jesus. This story is shared in all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all from different perspectives, all with a little bit different angles, but an important story. The story is about Jesus showing up at a party with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. I'm imagining that a party with religious leaders is probably not a major rager. It was probably a little bit boring on some level. But all of a sudden, the party got really, really interesting when an uninvited guest walked in. And she was a woman. And not just any woman. She was a first century sex worker, a prostitute. Everyone in that room knew who she was. They knew her reputation. She was breaking every social norm, every piece of etiquette. You don't walk into a room like that as a woman. You don't walk into that room as a prostitute. But she walks right over to the feet of Jesus and starts breaking more norms. She gets down and she's weeping and her tears start to spill onto his feet. Maybe she's just getting embarrassed. My tears are moistening the feet of the rabbi. I need to clean that up. So she lowers her hair. You don't do that. You don't touch a rabbi. You don't lower your hair. You only lower your hair in her profession when you're dealing your trade. She does everything wrong. But she lowers her hair and she begins to wash the feet of Jesus with her hair. And the Pharisees, they just start grumbling. They're like, ah, he's not a prophet. If he were truly a prophet, he would know the kind of woman that is touching him and he wouldn't allow this. But Jesus absolutely allows it. It's interesting to me in Mark's account of this story, he doesn't give us the name of the woman, but he talks a lot about what she came with. She walked into that encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees with an alabaster jar of perfume made of pure nard. An alabaster jar, expensive and beautiful, probably nicer than this one from Hobby Lobby. But you get the picture. It was beautiful and nice, and it was filled with perfume made of nard, this rare root that is harvested up in the Himalayas, incredibly expensive, and it was pure. This wasn't some kind of diluted knockoff perfume. This was the most expensive. One of the texts tells us that it was 300 
denarii for what she had in her hand. That was a year's wage for a common worker. And that's the wage of a man, not a woman in that culture. Her ability to be able to earn was so much less. Commentators just agree that this was everything she had. This was probably on some level an heirloom to her family that was handed down to her. Likely her dowry. Everything that she had in the world. This, friends, this was her future hope and her financial security. And the text tells us that she breaks it open and she begins to spill it out over the feet of Jesus to anoint him. Every last drop. Could there be a bigger or better picture of what it means to go all in? She risked everything. She risked her reputation. What what little reputation maybe that she had to show up that day. She risked her life. It was not uncommon for religious leaders to take prostitutes out into the street and ask people to throw stones at them until they were dead. She risked her life, but it didn't matter to her to pour out everything for Jesus. And even the disciples watching what she did, some of them began to murmur and grumble as well. What a waste. We could have taken that, sold it, and given the money to the poor. Didn't matter to her. She says, it's not a waste. It is worth it. And it is worth it because he is worthy. He's worthy of everything. Here's how Mark describes it. When Jesus responds to them complaining about her and not sent giving the money to the poor. In verse seven, Mark 14, the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. But then here's what he says. She did what she could. Literally, literal translation, what she had, she did. What she had, she did. All in. The implication being that if she would have had more, she would have gladly given that up as well. Anything that she had belonged to him because he is worthy. It is worth it. This wasn't a consumer. This wasn't showing someone that's showing up and saying, what's in it for me? This is someone that's saying, it's worth it because he is worthy above all things. Jesus is greater than any alabaster jar anyone could own. But I just imagine for me, and I imagine for you, we've got to ask ourselves the honest question. What is our alabaster jar? What is that thing in our life that maybe is our future hope, our financial security, that maybe we hold on to, unwilling to let go of for any reason, because we can't. Because we don't believe that maybe Jesus is worth it and that he's worthy. What could it be? Is it our time? 
giving our time to him? Is it our, is it our talents? Whatever God has given us in terms of gifts and talents and abilities, investing those in the lives of other people, is it our treasure? Is it money? Is, is that what we've got our hands clasped to? Is it our plans for our future? Is it whatever we think we want for the rest of our life? Is it any of the things, is there anything that we're holding on to that we wouldn't be willing to give up and hold up to him and say, Jesus, you write the story. You write the story with everything that I've got, my time, my talent, my treasure, my plans, Jesus, you write the story. Is there anything that we're holding on to? Because I will say it over and over again, it's worth it to give it up because he is worthy. I love what Mark says at the very end of chapter eight, because he gives us a picture, a foreshadowing. Mark 14, eight, he says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body, Jesus said, beforehand to prepare for my burial. Jesus wants us to understand this prophetic speaking, this foreshadowing of what's coming. Because this picture of this interaction with a woman shows us a picture of what he was gonna do for us. She came in and she broke a jar. Jesus was gonna allow his body to be broken for us. She broke a jar and she poured out perfume on him. Jesus was gonna break his body and spill his blood to cover my sin, to cover your sin. She came in there and she broke a jar that was her life savings. She gave up everything of her life savings. But Jesus gave his life. Mark says what she had, she did. But Jesus is saying what I have, I did. I did it all. I did it all for you. Friends, could there ever be a greater statement for us to say, it's worth it. It's worth it, Jesus. You are worthy. You're worthy of everything. You're worthy of me going all in with everything that I've got. Where are you at today? What would Jesus might be asking you to do? What does it mean for you to go all in. Imagining that there might be some people here in this room or watching online and you've never made that decision to surrender your life to him, to go all in, to put your faith and your trust, not in yourself, not in your own life, not in your own direction, not in your own ability to be able to please God, but to put all of your weight, all of your faith, all of your trust and what Christ did for you. Maybe today is your day to just open your heart and your life to Jesus and just say, I wanna go all in. If you would do that for me, Jesus, I want to go all in. And maybe as you're sitting here today, and just the Holy Spirit's moving maybe in and around your heart. There's something that's happening. You know that there's something that God wants you to move toward, something that he wants you surrendered, your alabaster jar that he wants you to break before him. Here's what I want you to hear. Whatever it is that he would invite you to invest for him, to invest for his kingdom, to invest for the sake of others, it's worth it. It is worth it because he is worthy. 
going to take a time and I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads and we're going to pray. I'm just going to ask you, wherever you're at with Jesus this morning, would you just invite him to speak to your heart and to trust him with whatever it is that he's asking you to give to him today. Jesus, we are so grateful that you were willing to come and to be an alabaster jar for us. You were willing to be broken. You were willing to be poured out. You were willing to give your life for us. What you had, you did. You gave everything. And Jesus, because of that, we just respond and just say, you are worth it. You were worth anything you would ask of us because you were worthy in every way. Jesus, we trust you and we love you. We surrender everything to you. We push all our chips to the middle of the table. We are all in with you. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, We'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.